Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. May the fourth be with you. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at the content from the earlier years of the podcast. And this Thursday that we're releasing this episode is May the 4th. It's Star Wars Day. And we do just happen to have three classic stories from the archives in which Star Wars plays a role. So here's a little compilation for you. You're about to hear The Rift by Andy Livingood. Secret Santa by Mark Abbott, and finally, the ironically titled It's Not About Star Wars by Paul Barak. And you can take it from me, someone whose Catholic confirmation name is Luke. I could tell folks that at 13 I chose Luke for my confirmation name because he was the disciple of Jesus who wrote the most feminist of the four gospels in the Bible, but no, it was because I thought Luke Skywalker was hot. But if you Star Wars fans want to give me a medal for that, you'll probably want to rip it right back off and give it to Chewbacca when you learn that I'm also one of the world's biggest Jar Jar Binks fans. (laughs) I have a perverse love of comedy that falls flat and annoys people. (laughs) So excuse me! But let's get started with (laughs) The Rift by Andy Livingood. So I was raised in a very conservative Christian household. We started out as Methodists when I was a real little kid, and then in second grade we went to vacation Bible school and converted to uh, Southern Baptists. And we were there all the time, like three days a week minimum at church. Like uh, you had uh, worship on Wednesday, you had church on Sunday and Sunday night. Uh, Tuesdays were visitation night where you'd go and visit the people that came to church for the first time. Uh, We were there all the time. Um, And I was into it.
I'd read my Bible every day. Um, it was, you know, as Southern Baptist, it was very much like you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, so my parents would talk to me as if like he was a person that they knew from down the street. Oh, well, if you prayed about it, well, just give it up to Jesus and he'll take care of you. And Jesus, it was a little bit more than Jesus loves you. Like it was like, no, he's a real person. He knows everything about you and he's your best friend. I'd go to church camp like every single summer. Um, and I was the guy that was singing with his eyes shut and his hands lifted up. You know, I was the guy that would witness to his friends. Like, in fact, I got the reputation of like, don't talk to Andy because he'll bring up God very, very quickly. I never had a doubt. In fact, it was like well into my 20s before I first met anybody that was like, no, I'm not a Christian. And it blew me away. <laughs> I didn't like that never occurred to me that there was ever an option to not be a Christian. The other thing that's really important to know is that um, I am my father's son. My dad and I, uh, more than anybody else in my family, have a weird connection because we are basically the same person. Similar sense of humor, and we like the same things. We like the same type of TV shows and movies and books and things like that. I think that I always look back that like my dad was excited that he had somebody to finally share this stuff with. I remember it was second grade. He's like, you're going to watch the Star Wars trilogy. And we went and rented them and we, we watched all three of them. And I, I, the thing I do remember is I got in trouble. I did something. I don't even remember what it was, but I wasn't allowed to watch Return of the Jedi until the next week. And I was so ticked off. <laughs> I mean, like it would go to like all sorts of nerdy things like, oh, you should like read Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, which again, looking back in such a Christian household seems weird to me that like that would be okay. We would go see uh, movies. We'd go see, we'd go to the midnight show for Star Wars. We drew the line at dressing up, but we would go. <laughs> and we would do it all the time. It would always, we'd make uh, an evening out of it. So I was in my uh, mid to late 20s when I started having my first kind of doubts with faith. And it started out simply of just like, well, all right, some of this doesn't make any sense. And uh, we were raised that the Bible was the word of God. It's not, it wasn't allegorical. It was like, if the Bible said Noah had an ark with all the animals on it, Noah did. But as I got older, I started kind of, mm, I don't think that's, there's a lot of species out there. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> and, um, you know, that would lead to all these other, like finding contradictions in the Bible and going like, well, if it's the word of God, he shouldn't have contradictions. He knows what he's talking about. And that sort of started the seed of doubt. And again, the first time in my entire life that like doubt would come up. And it was the book of Job that really was kind of like, well, wait a minute. Because in that story, Job's a righteous man. And the devil goes to God and says, well, look, he's righteous because he's got all this stuff. So God allows Satan to kill his family, take away his possessions, like leave him with nothing. And, you know, in the Bible, the moral story is he still praises God and God rewards him at the end. But for me, the thing that uh, immediately stuck out was like, wait a minute. It wasn't that he just like took his cattle, took it, you know, burnt down his house. Like he allowed Job's family to die. They were the sacrificial bunt to prove a point. Like if a person does that, they are a sociopath. And that was sort of the moment of like really starting to question this thing. And it just everything started adding up. I just stopped believing. And I remember the first time that I said it out loud, that there is no God, I don't believe in God. And there was nobody else around, I was by myself. And I said it, and I was waiting for that moment of just like crushing guilt and shame. And I didn't feel that. I felt relief the first time I could say it out loud. 
I think one of the things that I really liked the most once I kind of came to grips with my lack of faith was that life is so beautifully complex and horrific and amazing that that existence is enough. I, I don't like the idea of this being a test for the next thing. I go outside and I see a beautiful sunset. That's awesome. And I don't have to see like, oh yeah, there's a guy that made this and there's all this other stuff and there's gonna be paradise beyond this and you're gonna spend time with him for, that, for me to appreciate that sunset. And there was really, uh, there was like this wedge kind of growing between me and my parents because I was going back and forth on should I tell them or not. Sharing my lack of faith weighed on me more than sharing my faith ever did. But it really started to kind of fracture our relationship. I couldn't talk to them about anything. If I had something really amazing happen in my life and I told them about it, oh, you know, you should thank God. That's, that's awesome that he, you know, he provided for you and, you know, praise God. It's like, well, you know, I'm the guy that decided to start working out and lose 100 pounds. Like, do I get none of that credit? So I couldn't talk about anything good. And what was even worse is I couldn't go to them for help or advice because if I came to them with a problem, anything, their advice was always, did you pray about it? And I'm always kind of like, well, let's assume that I did. But what's the practical advice? And there was no practical advice because it was all just leave it up to God. He's got a plan. He wants the best for you. So just leave it up to him. So now I can't talk to them about good stuff. I can't talk to them about bad stuff. I have nothing to say to them. I live like 10 minutes from my parents, but I felt like I lived across the country. So then one day, uh, my dad and I both noticed about the same time because we called each other and left, you know, we were, oh yeah, you saw it, you saw it too. The uh, local art house was showing Metropolis, which is a really cool, groundbreaking, black and white, silent science fiction movie. Of course, I, I wanted to do like what we used to, like I, like I always remember, like let's go do dinner and then go see the movie. So we went to Outback and my dad and I are eating dinner and it is small talk. That's all I have to talk about with my dad. It was like we were strangers because there was nothing deeper to talk about. So the whole time this is going on, I'm having that internal debate again. You should tell him, you know, no, don't tell him, don't tell him. Like, why? Like, why? What, what do you have to gain? And I'm going back and forth, and I finally start kind of working up the courage of like, no, I'm, I think I'm going to tell him. So I take a deep breath, and I swallow really hard, and I, tell, I say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God anymore. And uh, he is just, like, blindsided. He has no idea what to say. And uh, we sit there in silence for a few seconds. And um, I realized, like, I felt great. I really did. I was like, oh, this weight's off my chest. I feel so good. And then I looked at my dad, and I could tell that I hurt him so much. And I feel horrible. Not because... Not because of the fact that I'm an atheist, but because I told him. This is the moment that I could get disowned. It's, I mean, as, as, as much as they believe and as strongly as they believe, like, this is the moment my dad could, you know, I have no son, like, you're, that's it, and just write me off. Like, he tells me that uh, he would probably be able to accept this more if I told him that I was agnostic, or that maybe I just was, you know, into a different religion. And I, I told him, like, well, I've been thinking about it for a year and no I'm not either one of those things I'm an atheist and that's when I know I heard him because now he knows that for a year 
I've been struggling with this and I haven't told him. This was the first time in my entire life that I saw disappointment on his face. And uh, this includes like stupid things I did as a teenager when I'd get in trouble. There was always, there was never disappointment. It was always like, I'm upset with you, but I'm not disappointed. And I saw disappointment. So we, uh, we pay for the check and uh, we go back to the car and we're driving to the movie theater. It's, it's that like deafening, awkward silence we're neither one because like we didn't have much to say before and now we really don't have anything to say so i'm i'm scrolling through the radio just trying to find anything that'll just fill the, the fill the sound and i like I, it's on scan and it stops on a religious station and i'm very quickly turning that to the next thing because we don't need that right now so we go and we sit down in the movie and like from the very first frame it is clear this is not the original version of metropolis because um, in the 80s, they uh, re- re-released it. It's colorized. They got, like, Bonnie Tyler and Queen to do the soundtrack. So it's less of this, like, groundbreaking sci-fi classic and more of, like, a rock opera <laughs> that's also colorized. And uh, my dad is a purist when it comes to old movies. I remember as a kid, uh, anytime they'd have, like, the like they're showing It's a Wonderful Life. If it was the colorized version, my dad would call it the communist Uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And I lean over to my dad and I go, I think this is the colorized version. (laughs) And I could feel him kind of tense up. He's not digging this. I'm kind of enjoying it because it's kind of fun. My dad is not. And like, you don't have to like really look that hard to see that he's not. Um, So the movie finishes and we walk out and my dad marches over to where the poster was because the poster was for the black and white one. And he's like, this isn't what they advertised. And he's really, like, he's upset, legitimately so. Like, um, and he's just like, this is loud. Like, I can't believe this. Like, he wants to kind of complain, but my dad's not that type of guy. He's never going to be the guy that's like, I want to see the manager. So we're just going out to the car. And um, before we get to the car, I just start laughing. And I can't stop. I, I, am, I am, like, just uncontrollably giggling and laughing. My dad stops and he goes, what's so funny? And I just look at him and I go, you have had such a shitty night. And I don't, I try not to curse around my parents. I certainly didn't do it when I was a Christian. And even now, I try not to curse around my parents, just as a courtesy, because I know they don't really like that. But I did that night. I just told him, you've had a shitty night. And my dad just kind of stares at me for a second. And he starts laughing. And that's when I kind of knew that we would be okay. My father knew everything that had to be known about Santa Claus. He was the preeminent person in the house. Anything we wanted for Christmas, first of all, he had a beeline to this man. 
He knew the address. He had his phone number. And he could answer any question we had about Santa Claus. For example, I wanted a dog. Can't have a dog. Well, why not? Won't survive the trip from the North Pole. He won't stay on the sleigh, so Santa can't bring him. Dad, we don't have a chimney, so how does Santa get in the house? Real simple. He rings a bell. And that's why I have to stay up and sit by the window and make sure that he doesn't wake you when he comes to the house. Okay, but if it's not snowing, does he bring the sled? No, he has a truck. <laughs> a truck? He goes, yeah. He drives down from the North Pole, and he pulls up in front of the house with everything. He's like, how do you think he gets to all the malls? How do you think he gets to Macy's? He's got a truck. There was no way to stump this man. And here was the other thing. If there was something on our list that he knew he had to go out and get, this was what he told us. I may have to go to Toys R Us and look for this. I spoke to Santa, he says he ran out of the parts. And so I may have to pick this up and ship it to him because he ran out of the parts and this could also help other children who may want the same item as you. That was the explanation as to why I didn't get the Lionel train set I wanted because they ran out of parts for the James Gang version and that's why I got the New York Flyer because that's all Santa had in his workshop. So in 1982, they re-released Empire Strikes Back. And now that the 77 version is over and the toy phase has kicked in, I needed refreshed toys. I needed a new TIE Fighter, I needed a new X-Wing, and I needed, most of all, the most coveted one that we could never get our hands on, which was the Millennium Falcon. And so I asked my father, I said, this is, gave him the list and everything, and my father changed shifts, he was a cop. He had changed shifts, and he had decided this one evening to come home early, and normally as a family, we would all go out Christmas shopping. My parents would let my brother and I go in one direction, they would go off in another, but we never saw my father actually buy anything. But this time, he says, listen, I gotta run to Toys R Us. Apparently, I got a call at work from Santa. He can't find these parts for these ships that you want, so I'm gonna run to Toys R Us. So I said, can I go? And then my brother, much younger than me, he's like, I wanna go too. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm only taking one of you. Mark, you go, you're the oldest, let's go. So 11-year-old me gets in the car with my dad and we're driving to Toys R Us and he says, now remember, if I have to pick up any of these items, they're not for you to play with when we get home, I have to ship them out. So don't expect to open any of these gifts if I have to buy anything. Not a problem. We get to Toys R Us and he says, you know, why don't you go ahead and take a look around the store? Really? Yeah, go, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I know exactly what I'm looking for. I don't need you with me. You can go around the store. You let 11-year-old loose in Toys R Us. It's great. So I'm moving around the store and promise to meet back in the front. And somehow I make my way back around to where he is, although I don't realize he's in the aisle over. And Toys R Us this particular evening is not crowded, but people are in there. They're grabbing what they need to get. And at one point, I hear a commotion. And remember, this is the early 80s, so there's no internet or anything. When This is the Cabbage Patch years, when people almost killed each other for something on the shelf. And I hear this commotion, and I'm like, damn, that sounds like my father. 
And then I hear somebody yell, gun! And so me not thinking, I turn the corner. And there's my father holding a TIE fighter on one hand under his arm and his revolver in the other, <laughs> aimed at this guy at the other end of the aisle. And I'm like, the hell? So I kind of creep up alongside him. I'm like, dad? And he goes, oh shit. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, all right, get the X-wing off the shelf. I'm like, what? He said, like, get the X-wing fighter off the shelf. So I grab the X-wing and I look over, I'm like, they have the Millennium Falcon. We're not having that discussion right now. Just, just do me a favor, go in my right back pocket and get my badge. Okay, so I pull the badge out, like, now show it to this guy. So I open the badge and all of a sudden, everything kind of calms down because these two didn't realize they were facing off against a cop. Security is here, police have shown up, and now we're escorted into the back to the explanation of exactly what happened. My father saw the last TIE fighter on the shelf. He reached for it just at the same time this guy reached for it, and neither one of them were gonna let it go. So they got into a wrestling match over this TIE fighter. The guy grabbed my father, and I guess my dad thought the guy knew he had a gun and was reaching for it, so he pulled the gun on this guy. So police are like, okay, we got it. They said, the guy's a badge, you know, don't worry about it. My father goes, let's go. We pay for all of this stuff. And we get out in the car, and my father's sitting there, and he goes, you cannot tell your mother what happened. I'm like, okay. And he goes, don't tell anyone in the house that I pulled a gun on somebody. I'm like, all right, that's not a problem. I said, I can keep a secret. And I said, so where are we going now? We're we going to the post office so you can ship this stuff out? And he goes, there is no Santa Claus. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And he goes, there is no Santa Claus. We're not shipping anything out. I'm like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean there's no Santa Claus? So first, anger. Wait, what do you mean there's no Santa Claus? You told me there's a Santa Claus. Mark, think about this. He has a truck. Think about the things I told you. Who drives a truck from the North Pole to North America to Europe? How does that work? Magic? Okay, flying reindeer. Have you ever seen, well, no. And he goes, he knows if you've been bad or good. Who would know that other than me and your mother? Rationalization. <laughs> oh, so that makes sense now. Cause you have been saying you didn't want me to have a dog. So that was your excuse. You're gonna blame it on Santa that the dog wasn't gonna make the trip on the, on the sleigh. Okay, so it's you and mom who are, uh, that explains why I don't get the things that I want because the two of you are determined not to let me have it. Third, now that I realize it's my father, the anger kind of subsides, the rationalization kicks in, and then I go, so, it's you and mom, mm-hmm. And you don't want mom to know about the situation here at the store, right? He said, no, we agree to that. Mm -hmm. You know, 
that Millennium Falcon <laughs> is looking mighty lonely on that shelf. What do you think mom would say? Eh. My father looks at me, kind of cracks a smile, and he goes, do not push your luck. <laughs> Thank you. In 2017, after a couple of just anvil-heavy times, in the spring, I decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, which was the best decision I could have made. You know, for six months out in that paradise, for the first time in years, I was happy, like, every day. And then I came back home, and Trump was president. Like, every day. And... At first, I was fine, but as the months wore on, I just started to get more and more depressed because not only did the world seem horribly wrong, but it also seemed like I was the only one who could see it. Because every time I tried to bring it up to people, they'd just kind of shrug and be like, yeah, man, it is what it is. Like they'd gotten used to it somehow while I was gone and moved on. But I never could. And so every day I'm just feeling more and more depressed and more and more isolated. And the only bright spot in that time was that I started dating my new girlfriend, Michelle. So by Christmas, I am just in the depths, still living at home, still unemployed, still 35 years old. And that's when my dad calls me up and goes, Paul, it's Christmas. Let's go see a movie and get some Chinese food. And I'm like, yeah, being Jewish is awesome. <laughs> I will get my coat. So me, my parents, and my sister all climb into the car and we head out to see the new Star Wars. Now, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. Like, the originals are classics and the prequels aren't. <laughs> and, you know, I thought The Force Awakens was okay. But this one, I am actually really excited for because all the reviews are talking about how adult and dark and complex it is. And I'm thinking, of course it is. It's directed by Ryan Johnson. Mm. I mean, this is the guy that did Looper. He did Brick. He did three of the best episodes of Breaking Bad. Mm. So I'm not only pretty excited, but I'm also kind of hopeful that... I'm gonna be able to connect to this dark adult movie and maybe just not feel so alone. You know, if just for a couple hours. So we get to the theater, like the excitement's up. I got my popcorn, I sit down, the theater lights lower, the horns blare, the scroll starts and we all cheer. And it takes about four minutes before I realize, uh, this is not a good movie. <laughs> like, it's pretty bad. 
And as the movie's going on, I'm just getting madder and madder because it's not just that this movie is dumb, patronizing bullshit where nobody important dies and there's no consequence for anyone's mistakes and people's problems just get solved because whatever. I'm getting really mad because Star Wars is the exact problem I've been having since I got back from the Pacific Crest Trail. Everyone told me that this movie was fine and it so clearly isn't, and apparently I'm the only one who can see it. So, two and a half hours later, the movie ends, the lights come up, everyone cheers, and I am furious. <laughs> and I walk outside and my dad goes, what'd you think? And I go, Dad, that movie was dumb, patronizing bullshit. There was no consequence for anyone's actions, and nobody important died. And my dad goes, yeah, Paul, it's a movie for 10-year-olds. Let's get some Chinese food. So we're at the Chinese place, and I should be happy because it's Chinese food, which I love. And my family's there, which is fine. <laughs> but instead, I am miserable because now we're all discussing politics, which for my family means arguing about all the things we agree on. And no one wants to talk about how bad that movie was. They just moved on. And I'm trying to hold up my end of the conversation, but all I want to do is just push my chair away from the table, walk outside, and start crying because I just feel so alone right now. So the check comes, we get home, my parents are sitting upstairs, and my sister too, quietly reading, and meanwhile, I'm downstairs in my childhood bedroom, just pacing back and forth, back and forth, needing to vent to somebody about how shitty this movie was, and that's when my phone buzzes with a text from Michelle that reads, Hey babe, still out with my family, but I'll be free in 10 minutes. Is that a good time for a call? Love you. And without thinking, I text back, 10 minutes sounds great, babe. Love you. And then hit send like an idiot. Throw my phone down and think, shit, I can't talk to her. I'm still too mad about Star Wars. And the thing is, I will not fuck this up. Like, it's only been a couple of months, but I am in love with Michelle. She is amazing. She's so kind and smart and funny and sings in an 80s cover band <laughs> and has just a bunch of amazing laughs. And beyond that, she's unlike anyone else I've ever dated. She's really positive and upbeat. You know, she has no history of depression or trauma. So she's not going to understand this at all. <laughs> and I am not about to lose my relationship over a movie for 10-year-olds. But I don't know what to do. You know? Like, I can't call my friends about this because it's Christmas. They're busy. And I can't talk to my family about this because they thought Star Wars was fine. And I need to vent to somebody right now so that I don't sound like a crazy person. So I call the crisis line. 
and I'm put on hold because it's Christmas. They're busy. And I'm still pacing back and forth, feeling these minutes ticking down until Michelle calls and finally someone picks up and goes, hey man, my name is Justin. Thank you for calling. What's going on? Uh, why, are you, why are you reaching out to us tonight? And I go, okay, Justin, look. I know that it is Christmas, and I know that there are people calling in with real problems, so I'm going to talk to you real quick about this one thing, and then I'm going to hang up, and you can go back to helping the people who really need it. And Justin goes, no, man. No. We don't, we don't look at it like that. We don't judge you. Whatever you're calling about has gotten you so upset and in so much pain that you reached out to us tonight. So whatever it is, man, it's okay. You can tell me. I go, okay, Justin, the new Star Wars sucked. <laughs> and Justin says, okay. A little judgy, I think, by the way. <laughs> but I don't have time, so I just go off about the plot and about the characters and about how nobody important died and there was no consequence for anyone's mistakes and I'm just ramping up and ramping up until I'm nearly yelling in my childhood bedroom about how happy I was when I was on the Pacific Crest Trail and now I'm back and everyone told me that this movie was fine and it so clearly isn't and nobody but me can see how bad this movie is. <laughs> and Justin goes, yeah, man. Yeah, that sounds really frustrating. Uh, is there anything else going on? And without thinking, I shoot back. Well, I mean, two of my past girlfriends killed themselves in just over a year of each other. Whoa. Whoa. And Justin says, oh. So this isn't really about Star Wars, then, is it, Paul? <laughs> and I shoot back, well, now that you mention it, Justin, not entirely. <laughs> but it is not a good movie. And then I thanked him repeatedly and hung up and called Michelle, and we did not talk about Star Wars. So the plan worked. But... You know, then a day later, I, I told her about it because uh, honesty is important in a relationship. And honestly, eh, it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> and, you know, she knew my situation and she laughed. And then she told her parents about it and they didn't laugh. <laughs> because she is dating someone who's had two girlfriends kill themselves and also <laughs> called the crisis line on Jesus's birthday to yell about a kid's movie. <laughs> So these are not good signs, but you know, between us, it's a joke, you know? And so we tell our friends and they laugh, but a couple of my friends after I finish do ask, uh, but seriously, Paul, are you doing okay? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. It's just a funny story. You know, like, why are you asking? If I can joke about it, that means I'm past it. Why dig in? You know, just like if people asked about the suicides, I'd say, yeah, the 
First one happened in 2015, and the second one happened in 2016. The second one was traumatic, and the first one dimmed the sun. You know, why dig into that more? It's sad as hell. Besides, therapy is really expensive, and I am still barely employed, and I've made it this far. So, me and Michelle keep dating, we move in together, and we're just getting more and more serious. Meanwhile, so are my problems. Believe it or not, Star Wars is not the only thing that I'm getting irrationally angry about. You know, there's also memory problems. You know, I, I can't remember how to drive to places I've been hundreds of times before or remember the name of anyone unless they're like a close friend or a family member or any character on Game of Thrones. <laughs> and then there's the worst one, which is that if Michelle is late driving back from band practice or work, I just start trembling with panic as I just become more and more convinced that she's died in a car accident, uh, which isn't a comment on her driving, mostly. <laughs> it's just that, you know, she's so upbeat. I knew it wasn't in her personality to kill herself, but I was also terrified that she was going to die somehow because I was finally happy again. Mm. So why wouldn't it happen again? Through this whole thing, Michelle is so kind and so understanding. I know that I'm going to marry her. And I also know that my problems aren't getting better and that it's not fair to either of us to keep laughing this off forever. So I finally sit down and put in the work and find a low-cost therapist that I can afford. And a month later... I take a seat in this unfurnished office that he shares in an industrial part of town, turn to him and say, my first girlfriend, Meredith, and I dated for a year. And then I broke it off with her because I didn't realize how in love I still was with my best friend. I tried to get her back for a whole year. And then two weeks after we did finally get back together and start planning our future, she hung herself. She'd been suffering from horrible migraines for a week and chronic pain for a lifetime and couldn't afford the health care to treat it. And there's not a day that goes by that does not hurt. My other girlfriend, Willow, and I dated for a much shorter time. Really intimate, caring, long-distance relationship that soured because she wanted more than I could give and we had different expectations of what being in an open relationship while we were in different states meant. She felt like I cheated on her and a week into a lot of phone calls discussing if we were going to stay together, I called her up one night and she was drunk and talking about taking so many pills that she wouldn't wake up the next day. Even though I was living through my worst nightmare, I frantically texted all of her friends and kept her on the phone until I found someone who could check in on her. And when they did, she brushed it off and said I was overreacting. The next day I broke up with her because I knew that I could not survive even the threat of another suicide. 
she killed herself the next day. And sometimes it really scares me that I'm still standing. And the therapist said, okay. And for the next hour, we didn't talk about the new Star Wars at all. Which, to be clear, is not a good movie. Paul Barack, everybody. Paul Barack. Wow. Well, that is all for our May 4th compilation of classic Risk stories in honor of Star Wars Day. Boy, we ended on a big one, huh? We ended on a pretty profound note there from Paul Barak, and before that, Mark Abbott, and before that, Andy Livingood. May the 4th be with you. And folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Take a risk.